Hopefully that is something every child could say about their dad. I saw Jesus in you. Turn your Bibles again to the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. As you're turning there, thank you for praying for Vacation Bible School this week. We had a wonderful week. We had a lot of, a lot of children and a good turnout of helpers. And we had our t- highest number, of, our total amount of kids this week was 382 children. We had 38 indicated they trusted Christ as Savior. So we rejoice over that. I want to express my gratitude for all the workers. We could not do what we did without them. We had so many, many men that actually took off work and lost a pay to work in vacation Bible school. Others took their vacation time uh, and did in vacation Bible school. Many volunteered their time. So many churches today are actually having vacation Bible school in the evenings because they can't get enough workers. That's not true of First Baptist Church. We had so many workers that helped us achieve a wonderful week. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for your prayers of Vacation Bible School this week. Today, I'd like to talk to fathers. I call it the characteristics of a good father, the qualities of a good dad. As a pastor, I've been here many years, and many of you have been under my preaching for many years, and I always say, I want to share something new I have not shared before and share some new truth to our fathers. If you've been here for many years, this is my 43rd message on fathers, and how can I come on something new you haven't heard already? And so many times there's not some new truth we need to know or learn. There's some old truth we have not yet applied. So to many of you, this might be a review, maybe an encouragement to you to keep on doing what you're doing. Some of you might be new. God's blessed our church with many great families. Many good dads, many good fathers. I watch you, how you spend time with your kids, the attention you give to your children, and we have many here, that this message would be just an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. <clears throat> but there's some, hopefully there might be a challenge to make some changes in your life. So today I'd like to talk about the characteristics of a good father. Number one, a good father has a relationship with God. This goes, needs, it goes without being said, but it needs to be said. A good father has a relationship with God. First of all, a good father is saved. That means it comes to a time in his life he understood the gospel and he trusted Christ as a savior. Heaven's his home. He's saved. A verse you can look on the screen. We're going to turn to our verse in Mark in just a moment. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is my favorite verse on salvation. Most of you know this, but for those who don't, maybe watching by live stream, The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Has there come a time in your life you understood that salvation was grace through faith? That salvation is a gift from God that you not earn or merit or favor by your works? Many of you have, but the first characteristic of a good father, he's saved. He knows Christ as Savior. And uh, interesting, I remember a story one time. There were four boys walking down the street after school one day and just talking to each other. And these boys were very competitive. They wanted to uh, outdo their, their buddy. One boy says, my dad's very important. My dad knows the mayor of the city. The second boy said, that's nothing. My dad knows the governor of the state. The third boy says, that's nothing. My dad knows the president of the United States. And all three of them looked at the last boy. He says, well, I don't know if I any better than that, but my dad knows God. My friend, can your children say that about you? 
that your children know God, that he's your Savior, that he's your Heavenly Father, that you're saved. The next thing is important about a father. A father has a relationship with God through salvation. Number letter B, he's dedicated his life to the Lord. He's dedicated his life to the Lord. The most important decision you ever make in life is a decision for salvation, to trust Christ as Savior, because that decision determines your eternal destiny. It determines we're going to spend all eternity by faith in Christ as your Savior. But number two, the second most important decision you should make in life, now that you're saved, come back to the God who saved you and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. The first decision is based upon a sacrifice he made for us. I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life because of the sacrifice he made for me on the cross. But now that I'm saved, God tells us in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. So the first decision is based upon a sacrifice he made for us. That brings salvation. The second decision is based upon a sacrifice you make for him. You come back to the God who saved you and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you that heaven's my home. I want to express my gratitude. Now I want to give my life and serve you. Dads, have you done that before? You may be saved, but have you ever dedicated your life to serve the Lord? And that'd be partly being a good dad to your children. John 10.10, I love this verse. Many of you know this verse. John 10.10 says this. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Christ said, I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. There's two comings here, the coming of the Satan. Satan's come, he'll come in your family to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to kill your testimony, steal all the blessings of God upon your life. But Christ said, I'm come, that you might have life. What kind of life does God give us when we trust him? Everlasting life, eternal life. I mean, he's talking about a quantity of life, life that lasts forever. But he goes on to say, I'm coming that you might have life, that you might have it, more what? Abundantly. So the first one talks about a quantity. The second talks about a quality of life. The, the quantity of life, eternal life, comes by trusting Christ. The abundant life, the quality life comes by serving the Lord. And fathers, the most important thing you can do, first of all, is to trust Christ as Savior. And number two is to dedicate your life to serve the Lord. If you're not saved here today, I would plead with you. I encourage you to take God at his word and trust Christ to save you. My friend, he will. And if you are saved, turn around back to the God and the way of saying thank you. God, thank you for saving me. I want to live for you. I want to be the dad you want me to be. I want to be the leader in my home you want me to be. Help me to do that. Dedicate your life to serve him. So a good father has a relationship with God. Number two, a good father is a godly example. A good father is a godly example. First of all, his example because he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. In Mark chapter 12, look at it with me again, please. A verse we read together, page 14, 17. It begins with a question. A scribe asked Jesus a question. In verse 28, and one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, 
which is the first commandment of all. The word first means the greatest, the most important, the foremost commandment. Now, there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. And he asked Christ, what's the most important one? What's the foremost of all the commandments that God gave, gave us? Which is the most important one? He answers it in verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first, the foremost, the most important of all commandments is, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Verse 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first, the greatest, foremost commandment. So of all the commandments we have in God's word, the most important one, dads, is that you would love the Lord. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In fact, in Luke 14, do not turn there, verse 26, he talks about the idea of following the Lord, talking about discipleship. Notice the idea of requirement for discipleship. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? When I first read that, I just kind of shook my head. Hate. I have to hate people in my life to be a disciple. The word hate is a comparative term. It literally means love less. I, in other words, my love for God should be so great that my love for my wife, my children, my mother, my father, even my own life should seem like hate comparatively speaking. Can you say that, dads? I don't know about you. I love my wife a lot. I love my kids dearly. And to say that my love for them, my love for God is so great, my love for them is like hate, comparatively speaking. I don't know if I can say that. But the issue is God needs to be number one, foremost. He needs to be on the front burner. Every relationship needs on the back burner. Is he number one? Dads, do you love the Lord? You said, Pastor, I love the Lord. What would be evident in my life? I'm glad, yes. Let me give you some evidence of loving the Lord. Go with me now to John chapter 14, please. John 14. Page 1513, John 14. Let me ask you, whether you're dad or mom or whoever you are, do you love the Lord? When you find John 14, look over here, please. There's a person I knew that asked me to pray for somebody, that they were very sick and they were in the hospital, and I said, I'll be happy to pray for them. I said, is this person saved? And the answer said, yes, he loves the Lord. I thought for a moment, what's that got to do with it? Loving the Lord is not required to be saved. Hearing his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The issue in salvation is not me, how much I love God. The issue for salvation is how much God loves me. And he loved me so much, he sent his son to die for me. But now that I am saved, the question is, do I love the Lord? In salvation, the finger points at the Savior. And let me tell you how much he loves you. He loved you so much he died for you. But now that you're saved, the finger points at you. How much do you love God? Do you love him above everyone else? And if you love him, what would be evident? I'm glad you asked. Look here in John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he what? Will keep my words. Obedience to God's word is the outward evidence that a person loves the Lord. Obedience to God's word is the outward evidence that a person loves the Lord. If you say you love the Lord, 
it'll be seen by your obedience to the word of God. Someone said this, the temperature of love is measured on the thermometer of obedience. The temperature of love is measured on the thermometer of obedience. How much you love God is determined how much you obey him. John, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, please listen. How can God command us to love him? Now, love, most of it, is an emotional term. You cannot command emotion. For example, I want you to be angry. You be angry. You be sad. You can't command emotion. So the word love is not referring necessarily to an emotion. It's an action word. In other words, your love for God is not by how much you f- good you feel about him, but how much you obey him. That's how it's measured. That's the evidence of loving God. Number two, let me give you some benefits of loving the Lord. I love this one. Benefits of loving the Lord. The benefit of loving the Lord is intimate fellowship with God is the benefit of loving and obeying him. An intimate fellowship with God is the benefit of loving and obeying him. Look again in verse 23 there. I read part of it so far. It said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. But read on. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Wow. What he's talking about here, he's not saying you've got to love the Lord if you want him to love you. My friend, he loves you whether you love him or not. God committed his love toward us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. He loves the sinner. He loves you. What he's talking about here, in order if you have a close, intimate fellowship with him, it's based upon you loving him and obeying his commandments. He said, basically, my father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. Back up in verse 21, please. Back up in verse 21, 14, 21. Jesus said, He that hath commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Look here, please. God loves all his children. He loves you whether you are righteous or ungodly if you're a child of God. Whether you're living right or living wrong. He loves you, period. That does not change. But he's talking about having an intimate fellowship with him. For example, some of you have many children. Maybe you have one who is just so compliant. They have a real desire to please you, and they love just doing what you tell them to do, and they just love being with you. But you have another who's kind of rebellious. And they're not the same as far as how they obey you. Now, you love them both the same. But one of them you feel a little closer to, do you not? One of them you feel a little closer and more intimate. And that's the way he's talking about here. God loves you whether you're a good son or a bad son or a good daughter or a good daughter. But he said, I will have close, intimate fellowship with you if you love me and keep my commandments. In other words, here's an article from the Life Application Bible note said this. Since Pentecost, a wonderful truth that brings comfort to the believer is the permanent indwelling or the ever-abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. However, Jesus saves the deepest revelations of himself to those who love and obey him. He said, I'll make my abode with you, and I'll manifest myself to you. In other words, God revealed himself in a very special way to those who love him and obey him. Can you say that? If you're saved, is one thing. But if you're saved, do you love the Lord? If you love him, what would be evident? I obey his word. And if I obey his word and love him, 
He'll love me in a very special way, and he'll make himself known to me in a very special way. My friend, that's worth stopping right there and going home for. If you just apply that to your life, you'll have a, your life will change. Let me give an Old Testament example of that. How many ever heard a man called Enoch? Enoch. The Bible said he's the eighth from Adam, eighth generation from Adam. Enoch. It says in generation, time of generation, Genesis, chapter 5, verse 24, it said, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What it said about Enoch, not much is said, but what it said, Enoch walked with God. The word walk talks about a close, intimate fellowship with God. He was not only saved, but he walked with his Savior. He obeyed him. In fact, if you would, please, uh, look, look over in the book of Hebrews, please. Hebrews. Chapter 11. Turn with me, please, there. Page 1693. Another thing said about Enoch. Enoch is an Old Testament example of a person that God manifests himself in a very special way because of his fellowship with God. Enoch walked with God. Hebrews 11, verse 5. Hebrews 11, verse 5. In verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation, he had the testimony that what? He pleased God. He walked with God and he pleased God. Talking about obedience and love of the Lord. You know, to me, and he talks about because of this, God did something special for him. He did not do anyone else in the Old Testament. He took him to heaven without him dying. He did not see death. God translated him. There's a picture of the rapture of the church. There's coming a generation that never experienced physical death. They're going to be taken to heaven. That happened to Enoch in the Old Testament. It said he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. What a picture of the rapture. All of a sudden, one day you're going to be here and all of a sudden you were not and you're gone. <laughs> That's the rapture. That's what happened to Enoch. Why? Because Enoch walked with God. Enoch had a testimony, please God. You know, I, to me, this is just a, I think. I think Enoch got up in the morning and said, Lord, I just want to spend time with you. And he walked all day long with the Lord. He said, Lord, I, now it's time to go back home. I got to take some rest, go to sleep. He went to sleep, got back next day. Lord, I want to spend time with you. I want to walk with you. I want to please you. Day after day after day did that. And then one day he said, Lord, I need to go back home and rest. And God said, wait a minute. Come on home with me. God took him home. What a blessing. Because he loved the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He walked with the Lord. Do you have that relationship with him? Can you say that? That you love him? That was true of Enoch. So number one, about a father, he loves the Lord. Number two, talking about being a good example, he loves the Lord. Number two, he loves his wife. A father loves his wife. Turn with me now to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, page 1649. Here the husband is commanded to love his wife. And he gives us three ways to do this. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Don't let me lose you. You say, what's that got to do with being a father? Hang in there, I'll tell you. Ephesians 5, 25, verse 28 and verse 29. Ephesians 5, 25 gives us three ways the husband is to love his wife. In verse 25, husbands, 
love your wives, verse 25, even as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. So the way that I'm commanded as a husband and you're commanded as a husband as, is to love your wife the same way Christ loved you. He died for you. He sacrificed his life for you. And we are to love our wives the same way, to sacrifice, give ourselves for them. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own what? Bodies, as yourself. You ever think about all the attention you give your body? Every time it hurts, everything else has to stop and go to attention to that. And when you get hungry, it's all about you. When you, when you need something, it's all about you. When you, something. And the Bible says, all the attention I give to my body, I love my wife the same way I love my body. Give her the attention I would give myself. But read on, verse 29, no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. So basically, men, the best way we can be a good dad is to love their mother, to love your wife. Even as Christ loved the church, as you would your own body, and he nourished and cherished that. How to be a God example? Please listen. Children will learn how to love and show respect to their mother by watching how their father loves and shows respect to their mother, how he speaks to them and treats them. Your children learn how to treat their mother by how you treat the mother. Learn how to talk to the mother how you talk to the mother. Some children are so disrespectful to the mother, and they'll learn that from their dad. Some are so disrespectful. So children will learn how. So the greatest thing you do to be a good father is to love their mother and show it by your actions toward her. Number three, we're talking about how to be a good example. Love the Lord. A good father loves his wife, and a good father loves the church. A good father loves the church. When I say the church, I'm talking about the local assembly of believers. Dads, do you love coming to church? Do you love be, uh, being around other Christians? I hope you do, and I hope your children see that and learn that from you. Remember in Ephesians 5, do not turn it again, it said Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That Christ nourished and cherished the church. Do you do that? Is this a place, a special place for you? Do you long to be in the house of God? Do you long to be with other Christians? A good dad will. Hebrews 10.25, many of you know the verse. Speaking says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day approaching when Christ returns. How many believe Christ is coming back soon? I believe that. And so as that day is coming, I should not go to church less. I should go so much the more. And so, Dad, when God's people gather together because you love the Lord and love the church, you ought to be there. God says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. A good father faithfully takes his family to church and is actively involved with both collective and corporate fellowship and worship. That's what a good father does. Number three, a good father has a relationship with God. A good father is a godly example. Number three, a good father makes his children a priority. A good father makes his children a priority. Go with me now to the book of Deuteronomy, please. In the Old Testament, the fifth book of your Bible, in fact, this is the verse Jesus quoted to the scribe who asked him what is the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, page 290. 
You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A good father makes his children a priority. This priority first involves the father having a personal relationship with God. Look, if you would please, Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. Chapter 6 and verse 5. Back verse 4. See if this doesn't sound familiar. We heard this already when Christ answered that scribe. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. In other words, talking about a father ought to love the Lord. But he goes on to say after that, a good father purposes to know God's word. So in his priority of putting his children first, that involves that he himself has a personal relationship with God, that he loves the Lord and he purposes to know God's word. Dads, how much time do you spend in God's word? How much time do you spend knowing God? Say, Pastor, I read my little devotion every day. That's wonderful. But how much do you study the Bible? How much time do you spend studying the word of God? Look what it says in verse 6. After he told the fathers to love the Lord, he said, these words about God's words, which I command thee this day, shall be in what? Thine heart. You need to know them. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God. So dads, putting your children first involves you having a personal relationship with God, purpose to know God's word. And next, a good father sets aside time with God every day. A good father sets a time with God every day. He guards it, he protects it. We went back up in Deuteronomy chapter 4 this time. Look in verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy 4. How much time do you set aside for God? Remember, Enoch did every day. He walked with God. He pleased the Lord. A good father purposed to know God's word and sets aside time every day to be with God. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the context is about God's word, his commandments, his judgment. Verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9, only take heed, speaking to the fathers, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Why? Lest thou forget the things which thy eyes have seen and lest they, talking about God's word, the things which you've seen, things which you know, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. So, dad, you need a purpose to know God's word. You need a purpose to take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently and stay in the word of God on a daily basis to know his word. Next, a good father makes it a priority to teach his children God's word. A good father makes it a priority to teach his children God's word. We see that in verse 7 of chapter 6. Verse 7, it says... Thou shalt teach them, speaking to the fathers, after you laid them up in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to thy children. Here's a question for you, dads. Who's responsible for your children to know the Bible? You say, it's the churches. No. It's the Christian school. No. Go look in the mirror. It's yours. You're commanded to teach your children. How much of the Bible do they know from your lips? How much of the Bible do they know? Now, the church comes alongside you to teach. Their school comes alongside you to teach. But they're not there to replace you. They're to come alongside. 
So I encourage you, again, ask yourself, how much of the Bible does my children know from my lips? That what I have taught them. He said, they're talking about, thou shalt teach them diligently thy children. Do not turn them. Let me read a verse for you. Listen to this verse. Psalm 78 says this, verse 1. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your words to the word, incline thy ears to the words of my mouth, which we've heard and known our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing the, the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works he hath done. They said, God gave it to us. Our fathers taught us. We're going to pass it on to our children. We will not hide them from our children. Teaching necessitates spending time with them. Teaching necessitates spending time with them. You have to spend time with your kids in order to teach them. Look again in verse 7, please. Deuteronomy 6, 7. He begins by saying, Thou shalt teach them God's word diligently to thy children. And notice here, And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. You notice there's probably no position you have physically that's not mentioned there. It said when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're lying down. What's he saying? Talk about God's word all the time. All the time. Use life situation to teach God's word. Maybe a situation of honesty, a situation of something in life. This might be in means, might saying nasty words, some might be disrespectful. Use that to teach God's word. Here's what God's word says. Don't be like them, be like scripture says, and teach principle. Talk of them when thou walkest away. Let me read this to you. This was a little article sent to me, and I could not print it out, but it's still on my phone here. I'd like to read it to you. It says this. It's called, it's always, it's always busy. In order not to be a sad dad, we need to examine some common areas where dads fail. Number one, dads can fail when they are inattentive to the children. Think about Eli, the high priest. He had the most demanding job in Israel as the high priest. He would have been at the tabernacle day and night. Maybe he thought to himself, as often we do, when life gets a little less busy, I'll devote more attention to my children. The problem is this life never gets less busy. And so it is. We find ourselves in a vicious cycle and meaning to invest more of ourselves and spend more time with our children, but finding it exceedingly difficult to do that. Before we know it, the precious little ones grow up and they're young men, young women. Then it goes on to say this. It's hard when you get busy. You start to think about maybe gifts and vacations will fill the void. The secret is your kids do not need more expensive toys or fancy vacations. They need you. I need, it says, I know it's not easy when you get home after a long, exhausting day. You're physically tired and worn out, and your kids want to play on the floor and play Legos with you. But they, that's what they love. That is what they need. So give them the time they need. Show them attention that they crave. Be present at the moment for them. God had given Eli two especially important jobs. One was a high priest. The other was a dad. Both jobs were most important. Unfortunately, he failed as a dad. You might be not responsible for leading the nation, but dad, you're responsible for God to lead your family. Daily seek his face. Ask him for strength and guidance 
as you face an important task and purpose to set aside time to spend with your children. Your children need you. And I encourage you to do that. Teaching necessitates spending time with them. Next, quickly here. Teaching requires being the right example. Teaching requires, effective teaching requires being the right example. For sake of time, we will not turn there, but Ephesians 6, let me read this to you, verse 4, speaking to fathers. It says, and fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. How do fathers provoke the children to wrath? The word provoke means to exasperate or to frustrate. How do fathers provoke the children? Let me give you three quick ways. First of all, by unreasonable demands. By unreasonable demands. I don't think this is your notes, is it? So listen to carefully. The generation of my parents, when I was a kid, to them, kids were to be seen and not heard. And you're not to make any noise when you're around the house. My friend, that's unreasonable. I'm reminded that, though my kids are grown by my grandkids. As soon as they come in the house, they're running all over the place, making all kind of noise. They're like a, a, a thing with a hinge in the middle, flapping on both ends. I mean, they're just everywhere, talking and playing and being noisy. And a part of me wants to say, sit down and be quiet. My friend, that's unreasonable. Now, there's a time to, amen? In church, they ought to sit down and be quiet. At home and maybe around the dinner table, sit down and be quiet. But my friend, there'll be times they can just have a good time and talk and all that. So unreasonable demands can frustrate them. By hypocrisy, by telling them not, not to do something that you do yourself. Don't talk to your mother that way, and yet you talk to the mother that way. Don't say those kind of words, and yet you say those kind of words. That provokes them to wrath. Number three, by showing favoritism. By showing favoritism. Sometimes it's easier to show favoritism to the obedient, compliant child than one who's rebellious. Remember the person in the Old Testament who was hated by his brothers because their father showed favoritism? His name was Joseph. Remember that? Joseph was loved by his father, and his father showed him favorites over all his brothers. His brothers hated him because of it. They, he provoked, Jacob provoked his children to wrath. Three ways. Next. Teaching requires being the right example, but also teaching also involves correction. Teaching involves correction. It says there in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but it goes on to say, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does that mean? The word nurture and admonition means discipline and instruction. Physical discipline and verbal instruction. Both are essential for teaching your children. We live in a society, in a culture, that any kind of physical correction to our kids is called abuse. Sad to say. That was not true in my days. I remember I got several spankings by my public school teacher because I talked too much. <laughs> and so, but today, if you're going to physically discipline your children, I encourage you don't do it in public. You ought to do it, but be careful how you do it. I'm not talking about, not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about hitting them with your fists or slapping them. God's given a place on the bottom that needs to be hit on when they disobey. But by the way, both physical discipline and verbal instruction are acts of love. Did you know that? Pastor, I love my children too much to hit them as far as spank them. No, you don't. You love yourself too much, the Bible says. In fact, you know God disciplines us. 
both physically and verbally. Hebrews, do not turn to Hebrews 12.5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuke of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth and he scourgeth every son who receives. So God chastens us. God scourgeth. Talking about verbal instruction, physical discipline. God does that. Real quickly, I'm going to close with this. I want to hear your notebooks closing. Does God tell us we, there are times we should physically discipline our children? Yes. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, means early in life. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 22, 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. I could go on and on and on. So yes, instruction, correction is part verbally, but also there's sometimes some physical correction. Again, I'm not talking about abuse. There's a way of doing that. I wish we had time we could talk about that, but let's close with this. We're talking about the characteristics of a good father. A good father has a relationship with God. He's trusted Christ as Savior, and since then he's dedicated his life to serve him. Number two, a good father is a godly example. He loves the Lord. He loves his wife, and he loves the church. And lastly, a good father makes his children a priority. He spends time with them, and he corrects them. He loves them. He's a good dad to them. Close your Bibles, please. Look up here. Dad, hopefully this was just an encouragement for you to keep on doing what you're doing. But maybe there's someone here today who said, Pastor, I'm a dad, but as I look at Scripture, I'm, I'm not doing a very good job at it. I find that I'm so busy doing my own thing that I spend very little time with my kids. I buy them things. I do things for them occasionally, but spend time with them. I don't do that. So I look back on my life with my dad. My dad was a workaholic. And if I could change anything, I said, Dad, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to play ball with me. I want you to wrestle with me. I want you to do these things with me. I never, my dad didn't do that because he was working. Because in his generation, the best way to be the best dad was to provide for his family. And he did do that. But he spent very little time. So I tried to correct that with my kids, spend time with them. So I encourage you, what your kids want the most, Dad, is not things from you, it's not a greater vacation from you, but you. They want you. I want you to spend time with them, to love them, to teach them, correct them when they do wrong, and show them how, much, how to treat their mother by how you treat their mother. Being the dad you ought to be. I encourage you to do that. But remember the number one priority for Dad, the foremost thing he should do, he needs to be saved. He needs to be saved. Dad, if you had to die today, would you go to heaven? Most of you say, Pastor, I would. I've trusted Christ as Savior. But if you say, Pastor, I don't know. I hope so. I think I'll go to heaven, but I don't know that. And chances are, if that's your answer, you are based in going to heaven upon your behavior, by the things you do, that maybe you have to merit pay with God. I have to be good to go to heaven. I don't know if I'm good enough, so I don't know if I'm going to get there or not. My friend, salvation is not my works. Salvation is not based upon any behavior you do in life, not your works, your conduct. 
based upon what Christ did for you. It's through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that we go to heaven. Through what he did for us, I have eternal life. Our part is to believe, to trust and rely upon Jesus Christ, our Savior. So to go to heaven is not that you have to do something, but rely upon that which is done, the finished work of Christ upon the cross. He died for you, was buried, and rose again. He said, I give you eternal life. Most of you have done that. But if you have not, but if you have done that, have you ever given your life back to him? Lord, I'm saved, but I want to show you my gratitude. I want to be the best dad possible. I want to give myself a fresh new today to be the dad you want me to be. I want to give my life as a sacrifice for you. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we conclude our service, Dad, has there ever been a time in your life that you realized that you were lost? That if you died, you would not go to heaven? That you did not know heaven's your home? But you come to the place of understanding the Bible that you were a sinner and that there was a penalty for your sin, which is death, but Christ died to pay that penalty for you? And you understood that, and you, by your own act of your will, you placed your faith and trust in Christ to be your Savior. You trusted Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, to take you to heaven. If you've done that, heaven's your home, and I rejoice with you. But if you've never personally trusted Christ as Savior, my friend, why not do it right now? That's the first, foremost thing you should do as a father to know God as your Savior. You say, Pastor, I've never done that before. How do I do that? Why not talk to God? He knows your thoughts. You cannot go wrong. In your own mind, your own thoughts, say something like this as you talk to God. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge and admit that I am a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that your son Jesus was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And there on the cross, he suffered and bled and died to pay for my sin. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. And God right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My friend, did you pray that prayer today? Did you trust Christ as your Savior? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you. I just want to pray for you. So if that made sense to you, with heads bowed and eyes are closed, so I can rejoice with you and include you in my closing prayer. If you trusted Christ as Savior, would you raise your hand today? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Here's my hand, Pastor. I trust Christ. Anyone at all? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Dad, I assume since you did not raise your hand, that means you're already saved. Dad, have you ever given your life back to Christ? Have you ever made a decision, Lord, because you saved me, I want to serve you? I want to present myself to you as a living sacrifice to serve you? I want to be the best dad I could be? How many say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I've never done that before? Or maybe you feel like you need to do it afresh and new today. You want to give yourself for the first time or fresh and new to be the dad you, he wants you to be. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many dads would say that today? Would you raise your hand, please? Anyone at all? Yes, yes, God bless you. Dad, Pastor, I want to be the best dad I can possibly. I want to give myself fresh and new to God because he gave himself for me. Anyone else real quickly? Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Dear Father in heaven, 
thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you that salvation going to heaven is through what you've done for us and our dependence and trust in you. But Father, now that we're saved, you call upon us now to give our lives as a sacrifice for you. And the best way a dad can do that is by giving themselves for their wives, giving themselves to the children to be the dad they ought to be. And many have made that decision to do that for the first time or fresh and new today. Lord, I pray that you'd help them follow through with that. Help them to be the dad you would have them to be. Pass in Jesus' name. Amen.